right, what's going on, everybody? It's another episode of Chris Star Saturdays with me, your host, Chris Star. Today, I'm gonna go over what we've been doing with my Merlin the last couple weeks, like uh, refresher training, just kind of the tips and tactics, and at least just my experience, like what we've been going over, how to bring him, or how at least I am bringing him out of the molt, and what we're gonna do from here. So, basically. About 11 days ago, I just started weighing him and, well, more consistently, like at an everyday sort of thing. And at that point, he was still super spooky, super crazy and all over the place, didn't want anything to do with me. A little backstory, this is my <clears throat> Jack Merlin meeting a male from last year. He's a second year male, so this will be his second year of flying with me. And he molted terribly, unfortunately. Not great, but you know, what are you going to do except learn from that? Probably what ended up happening is I didn't have him in a like a distant enough place where he was like out of the comings and goings of the day. So he was too close to everybody. So he like wasn't completely comfortable with molting. He molted all of the important feathers except for his tail. He didn't drop any of his tail, which is kind of lame. So what we're going to do this year and what we've been doing is just going through the motions again, refresher training, getting him used to being on my glove more consistently, getting back in the swing of hooding, like taking his hood every day and getting used to that. So 11 days ago, put him on a scale. He was 137 grams, which is uh, down a little bit. I did some controlled feeding instead of free feeding him every day. I fed him once a day, a main meal, you know, so he didn't have extra. He ate all of that main meal, did that for a couple of days. And then, you know, from there, we kind of worked over to feeding on the glove, like getting him used to being on the glove again. That in itself was a bit of a chore because he's like, I don't want to be near you. You know, it was like that for days, multiple days. And what we did is like add in little tidbits, which are tiny little pieces of meat that are cut up and taking those from the tips of my fingers so he gets used to my hands being in his face again. The issue with that, um, with Merlins, is they're so small. They're like the size of your hand. Something the size of them coming close to them, it's pretty spooky in the beginning. It was a big deal when we first caught him last year. So multiple days worth of lots of little tidbits from my fingers while he's eating on the glove. And then, you know, a couple days in, what I had him do was jump from his little perch to my glove, like off of his perch, like coming towards me, which is another pretty decent sized step, leaving his place of relative safety, so to speak, to come closer to me towards that quote unquote danger, you know, or at least what causes him stress in his mind to get to his food. So then a couple days in, we started doing jump ups from the ground, which is like, putting him on his perch, and then me elevating my glove so he has to come up to it to get to his food. And so with that, it forces him to kind of use his flight muscles, which he hasn't used for quite some time because for the molt this year, he was tethered to his perch, meaning he couldn't do any flying. And it's unfortunate that that's the way it was, but I just don't have the facilities to get him into a free loft chamber right now. Fortunately, I am moving some of my other larger birds around bolt cutters going to a game hawker's home, which is really nice because she didn't do anything the last year. 
And I hate birds just sitting, you know what I mean? So she's going to go to a game hawker in Utah to get some actual hawking done. Pretty excited for her. And then George, my male Harris hawk, is going back into the breeding chamber with Satsuki, my female Harris hawk, so they can make babies again. George is like seven or eight years old now, and he's pretty persnickety, <laughs> pretty stuck up and you know, set in his ways, and he doesn't really want to participate with the game anymore. You know, I could get him to, but I would really have to like crank down on his weight and go through a ton of refresher training and and all. I like I, I tried it this year for a couple of weeks, and he just like was not really getting with the program. So, and I, I'm fine with that. He served me well, so to speak. We've had a lot of good times together, done a lot of good abatement work, and caught many hundreds of head of game, jackrabbits and squirrels and all kinds of stuff over the years. So I think he's deserved a long life of making some babies now. Same with Satsuki. I'm excited to put them up together and then probably fly one of their offspring in the coming years. Uh, Not probably. I definitely will. I really want a male out of them because she's huge as it is and he's an above average size male as well. So together they should produce some pretty large males they already have. I just haven't had a close eye on what they've made, like the weights of their offspring. So anyway, moving forward, I will have the room now to, like if I want to hold on to him next year, my Jack, my Merlin, and free loft him, I'll be able to do that. That'll be pretty nice. I'll be able to give him a big muse outside. What free lofting is, is like a being able to have a big chamber which they can fly around in and do their thing outside so that he'll get to stretch his wings a lot more. And when they are allowed to do that, they molt really, really well. So next year's molt should be perfect, which would be so nice because he's so freaking so brown, such a brown bird. And what that means is like, so Merlin's in their second year, males anyway, they molt out all of their brown feathers come in as like blue, super, super cool looking. And he did that with like six and it's not cool. So I call him my double brown jack, <laughs> my DBJ. So basically, I'm you know, back to the program. You know, a couple days of jump ups and like walking around him while he's on the ground so he gets used to me kind of towering over him, giving him tidbits while he's down there as well to get him used to my fingers. And then it's been a couple of days of calling him to the lure as well, which is a little piece of leather basically tied to a string. And then there's meat tied on the leather. It's just basically to catch his eye, have that thing be tethered to you so you can hold on to it and have its own little tether to put meat on so he's attracted to it. Like, hey, when I pull this thing out, wherever you're at, there's a meal on the end of it, so come and get it. And uh, another thing that we've been doing to get him back into the swing of hooding is what's called high-level tidbitting or hooding for tidbits. And what that means is like, so while he has the hood on, I've got a bunch of little pieces of meat chopped up and I'll do his food indicating sound, which for me is like a little, like a high-pitched whistle. Let me see. He's sleeping right now. So I'll do it <laughs> like that. Oh, nice. He didn't even wake up. Awesome. (laughs) So I'll do that and then pop the hood off. And then there's a tidbit right in front of his face. And he's like, sweet. You know, we taught him this last year, but what they learn is the whistle, the hood comes off, there's food. And then since his head is still right there and my hand is still right in his face with the hood, I'm able to put the hood right back on him and then get another tidbit. 
and then do that process over and over again, like five to 10 times. And what that does is over the course of being done over a week to two weeks or however long, and this can be done with all birds, it teaches them to receive the hood a lot easier than just like cramming it on them. It's And the cool thing about this Merlin and my previous Merlin is it's taught me how to be a much better hooder because naturally they're just so difficult to hood because they're so quick, their heads are so small, and the hoods that go on those heads are tiny as well. So it's my dexterity has been leveled up <laughs> over the past couple of years flying Merlins. So a bunch of high-level tidbitting. And then today, mm-hmm. uh, something that I posted on my IG Live is the second day of him outdoors yesterday. He was pretty spooky. He was like, oh, what's going on? You know, because it's new. He hasn't been outside in a while. He was like baity and like, oh, are we good? Are we flying? What's happening? He's just kind of spooked at the new situation, which is totally normal. And that that's their like go-to response being A, a falcon and B, a tiny falcon. You know, in the wild, there's a lot of bigger birds out there. And if it's bigger than you, it's going to try and eat you if you're a teensy little Merlin. So slow and steady wins the race. So today, what we did, if you want to see this, I put it up on my Instagram at Lone Star with two R's, like my last name, S-T-A-R-R, Trapper, at Lone Star Trapper. You can check that out. We just did some uh, lure work. And again, today, he was a little slow. You know, he's down. Today, he was 127, 127 grams, about what he needs to be. But that is probably around what I'll fly him at initially. Like free fly him, get him in the air around that exact weight. But like we're still new to the process, so he's still spooky. So he was a little hesitant. He came in almost fully committed and then peeled off at the end. So it's like, okay, we're still, you know, we still have some room to grow. And then he landed because he was on his creance. He was tied off. Creance is a long line, like a long, super long leash. I had it out about 100 feet, I think, maybe 75 feet worth of line to get him to come to me. And he peeled off at the last second and went and landed and like ran out his line. It wasn't that much further from me. So he just landed on the ground and eventually kind of walked over to it. Was still super sketched out, you know? He's like, oh, I don't really know about all this. And like eventually started to break in and, and start eating. And then I walked around him, did like walk around training, which is circling the bird slowly so he gets used to Again, the towering over thing, and, it, and this is while he's outside now, so it's a new area. It's a new like set of circumstances where he gets to see me walking around him. And then I would reach in and, and give him tidbits. So I let him eat everything that was on that lure, and then I picked him up, and he got to finish the vast majority of that meal on the fist. The most important thing, at least right now, is that he remembers that the fist is where his safe area, this is where I get to eat as well. I get a full meal when I'm on the fist. Love the fist. Thanks, Dad. You're awesome. So the hooding at the end did not go very well. And so after talking with my Merlin mentor, Keith Richmond, about the whole situation, he recommended going back inside at least to do really high vertical jump ups in a tiny enclosed space like a bathroom to A, because he's already down at his weight that he needs to be, like he's cut the fat that he needs, that I needed to cut off of him, trimmed like his BMI down. But now we need to, because he's not doing any like real flying, now we need to increase his metabolism. And so once he's got that 
metabolic pressure on him. Like, hey, I need to eat as well as a few more days worth of work, getting him back into the routine of interacting with me. You know, we'll be cooking with peanut oil, as the Robertsons would say. So over the next few days, we're going to go back inside. And what that allows me to do, because I think I mentioned it, the hooding at the end of today's session did not go well. Like I couldn't get it on him easily. What you do is you let him swallow the whole foot of a sparrow. And while they're pushing that down, because it takes them a second, they have to keep their head straight and kind of pushed out. It allows for an easier time to get the hood on. And, you know, if you mess up one leg, (laughs) if you don't get it on on one of the sparrow's legs, that's the reason why God gave sparrows two legs to be able to hood your Merlin better. And I couldn't get it on in the second leg either. So that kind of sucked. So yeah, I had to deal with it after the fact, which wasn't great. So bringing him back inside will allow me to do high-level tidbits again, hooding for tidbits, which is nice. I'll be able to do multiple more days of that before going back outside. And then doing a bunch of vertical jump-ups will increase his metabolism. We'll get him hunger because he's doing all of that exercise, basically. You know, it's like running hills uh, for humans or like doing stairs quickly. So it's engaging those uh, flight muscles very, very heavily. Like they don't have room to build up speed. They have to go straight up for it. And so the first day it's kind of slow and steady, like, you know, a foot, like a hop, a foot, and then two feet and a few feet. And you like slowly work your way up. But what Keith says is that eventually it'll get to the point where you can't even like get reset and they'll shoot up in the air and be hovering above you towards the ceiling, ready to land on your fist before your fist is even up there. So I'm kind of looking forward to that. I've done it with other birds. You know, everybody, everybody's done jump ups, right? I've done like a one and a half story jump ups with my Harris Hawk before to get him in shape. Even though, I mean, with freaking Budios and Parabudios, just go hunting, man. You know, there's no need for that. I can get it in like the early season when, uh, you know, if you live out east and the cover's super thick, that makes sense. It's good exercise for the bird, but it's going to be really nice for my Merlin to get those muscles underway, you know, start working those suckers out and it will get him used to me again, used to being in my vicinity and remembering that, that's where the food comes from, getting him comfortable with me. And then, you know, I'll probably do a minimum of three days of that, most likely longer if if everything's just going swimmingly, maybe four. You know, I'm not in that much of a rush. I want to get things done right. You know, the reason last year why we had such a great season is because I spent, I think, like two full months getting the fundamentals down, down freaking pat solid in the concrete baby. That's concrete, baby. So that when we did start hunting, hunting, he did everything next to perfectly, you know, and he picked up amazingly, except towards the end of the year when the Swainson's Hawks came back in mass through the area during their migration. And that might be why he picked up so poorly towards the end. I mean, (laughs) what they say is like, that's why you fly him. And then when he doesn't catch That's when you end on the lure. Well, every freaking time out he would catch. Literally, literally every single time. So what I'll probably do is uh, when we're ready to go back outside here in a couple of days, I'll probably start him. So what apparently is 
they remember it like they never lost, they never missed a beat. They just start climbing straight up, you know, he, he waits on. So he flies above me in big circles, you know, 100 to 300 feet overhead, depending on the wind and what we're hunting. He waits over me and flies in circles and waits for me to scare up the little sparrows. And then he comes diving down to catch them. So he might just march right on up and start that again. And then what I'll do is, yeah, I'll probably just call him to the hand lure because that's easier to tote around versus like the pole lure. I don't really need to get him in shape, quote unquote, because with a bird that already knows how to wait on, they naturally will get themselves in shape because they just do the flying. And the sparrows that we fly really force him to like, okay, I got to get way the frick up there if I'm going to catch these dang things. So I'll probably, you know, let him fly around. I'll go to a place that doesn't really have birds and walk around with the dogs and just let him kind of follow me for a while and then set the dogs, walk out and then call him down straight to the lure. Maybe do that for a few days and then we'll kind of see how he is from there. You know, from there he should be hooding decently and picking up decently. This will be at least a week from now. So about a week into November. So that's my plan and I'm sticking to it. All righty, guys, I appreciate it. Thanks for listening to uh, the Chris Star Saturday episode this week, training my Jack Merlin refresher training course for Damnatious Daniel. That's his name. Double Brown Damnatious Daniel. Thanks for the listen. If you have any questions for me, send me a message on Instagram. Like I said, Lone Star with two R's, S-T-A-R-R, Trapper, at Lone Star Trapper on Instagram. If you have any falconry questions, give me a shout. And until next time, which is here in a couple of days, I'll be talking with Michael. We're going to be going over the crazy dead animal removal stories that we have coming up. (laughs) Some are gross. Some are pretty interesting, as a matter of fact. All righty. Thanks, guys. Have a good one. God bless. Hey, guys. Thanks for listening to this podcast. This is Michael Baran, a.k.a. Bare Hands Baran. Make sure you go now to Discovery Plus. Download our reality TV show, Bare Hands Rescue, where we are out there every day rescuing people from wild animals. It is entertaining, it is engaging, and it is informative. Download it today and listen for our next podcast.